Thank you for waiting. Good evening, dear distinguished guests. Good evening, everyone online. Ah, great to have you here. Wonderful. <laughs> Perfect timing, by the way. <laughs> so welcome here in the Brussels Press Club and online. Welcome to 90 focused minutes dedicated to European sovereignty. This evening's debate is a collaboration of the Union of European Federalists and the European Parliament's intergroup, the Spilani Group, co-funded by the EC's SURF program. And we are very happy to have you here. And we are very happy now to have some welcoming words from President of the UEF and Chairman of the Spinelli Group, Sandro Gozzi. Please, the floor is yours. Good evening, everybody. And uh, sorry for being late. I was late from New York with the flight. Uh, so uh, this is why I, I'm 15 minutes late. Let me say that I'm, I'm very glad uh, uh, to uh, launch a, a series of events that uh, I have proposed uh, and uh, to the Spinelli Group to do. And this is why I want to thank uh, particularly Gabriele Bischoff for to be here and uh, Gwendolyn, uh, who I think she's uh, connected uh, remotely, because I do believe that uh, we need to uh, promote much more outside the European Parliament not only the activities, but also the people who are members of the Spinelli Group. And I think that uh, it is time to enhance synergy between the different uh, federalist actions and federalist initiatives. So and this is also the the, the main uh, reason why, I mean, uh, being a president of UF, uh, I'm currently rotating chair of the Spinelli Group. This is the first point. I mean, uh, out, out there, uh, nationalists uh, are growing. I know, I know something very well, both from France and from Italy. Uh, and I don't think that it is time for the federalists uh, to be divided or to go to what different direction. It is time for federalists to be united and to focus on what united us and not on the little things that they might diverge on these other strategies. This is the first reason why I'm very glad and I thank you very much for your presence. The second reason is that I'm very glad to uh, uh, meet again uh, my friend Nicolas Leron. Uh, after a um, few years we haven't met, but I mean, uh, there is a, we have done a, 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 in, a, in several times a, a very, a very uh, interesting work together, uh, both uh, for, I mean, uh, progressive world and policies, but also uh, strongly committed both for the European integration. So, I mean, I'm very glad that, I mean, we are uh, tonight, uh, Nicola, we are able to present your book, uh, which is uh, very interesting. And uh, I, uh, I will listen. I would have many things to say. I will, I will say only a few words. But uh, yes, it is interesting because on one side, it touched upon the uh, key issues of the European integration, which is the democratic question. On the other side, it's very, I mean, precise and uh, convinced about issue about on issue about which I'm less precise and less convinced because I do believe that uh, sovereignty is not something that in the 21st century should be left only to the national dimension and that we should develop also at European level a, a, a certain idea of European sovereignty. You call it puissance, but after all, for me, sovereignty is the capacity to implement, the capacity to make change, to, to take control and the capacity to uh, make things happen. And this is why we need a, a, sovereign, a sovereign dimension at European level, as the member states are not able to ensure certain kind of public goods. So, I mean, I think that from this perspective, there is a, a, some nuances among us, but I think that your 
your book is a great contribution to this key debate on power, transnational democracy, and what is sovereignty in the 24th, uh, in the 24th century. So, I mean, I will be glad uh, to listen to the, all the panelists, and I think that we can continue with our presentation. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your welcoming words. It's great for me to be here also. And as you already could see, the discussion has already begun. <laughs> Before we dive deep into it, uh, it's my pleasure to give you a brief overview, just one, two minutes of uh, what the topic might be all about. And then we will have an impulse of uh, Nicolas Leron with his new book uh, to set the field. And then it's up to discussion. The topic tonight opens a broad field of worth, really worth discussing topics when it comes to the various challenges Europe faces today and when it comes to the question on which direction Europe can and should take for its further development. The aim of the next steps actually are clear. They should secure a fruitful future despite the many crises that keep European politics and European civil society under constant pressure. And the question is, is European sovereignty the answer to all our problems? And I see a very skeptical look here already. <laughs> so let's see what the answer might be from your side. The Conference on the Future of Europe anyway concluded on May 9th, the Europe's Day this year. Uh, and the decision of that time was to follow up towards a European convention. Showed, this decision showed clearly that the European Union is at a crossroads. Either it will become a real political power that can promote its agenda on a global level along with the other major powers, or it will be more and more subject to the aims of others and be left with just managing one crisis after the other. At the same time, the very concept of sovereignty has become pro problematic in an interdependent world where many issues are beyond the control of single states. You mentioned it already when it comes to mutual threats like the climate change, the pandemic, or of course, to war, the desire of European states to maintain the exclusive control over sovereignty at the national level not only seems contradictory, but contraindicated and contraproductive. Yet at some Recent national elections, like in France, Sweden, or Italy, it shows clearly that the shared European sovereignty is not a given, or even a mutual vision all over Europe. In the contrary, nationalistic forces threaten to pull Europe back into old divisions. And despite the history of the EU being built as a peace project after World War II, nationalism is not only rising again, but ruling already in some European countries with Autocrats single-handedly leading governments, undermining the rule of law, fundamental rights, or the division of power, and by that destabilizing democracy itself. Even the idea of empires re-emerge on the world stage. Strange times we're living in. These developments, anyway, are dangerous attempts against democracy in the whole Western world, as recent also American, of course, and European political events show. Sovereignty, understood in a nationalistic sense, where single states are being led by mostly single rulers, is the opposite of the idea of European sovereignty as the concept of a shared political union. These are two very opposite ideas, at least in my understanding, and sooner or later the nations, and especially the European citizens, they will have to vote for one or the other. Therefore, the question of where sovereignty should rest and how to guarantee in the end to the citizens that the raising uh, and raising the issue of a democracy on a supranational level is intertwined with the whole European project. 
I would like to conclude my brief outline with some key questions that we will follow during the discussion. First question, how can Europe ensure that it is actually the citizens that take back control over their destiny and the governance of major issues, but taking control on a much bigger level than only the national, namely on the European level? Second question, where does European sovereignty lie? And how can a shared European sovereignty operate in practice? What does it mean? How does it look like? Third question, can new European treaties change the way sovereignty is shared today and perhaps even lay out a path for a European constitution? A question I'm interested in, to be honest. And last but far from least, what is the federalist approach to sovereignty? What is the role of the European federalists in all of this? This and what can each of you do, each of us do? I'm glad I can pose all these questions to our experts tonight. And uh, before we jump into the discussion, we will be prepared by an impulse, as we already know, of Nicolas Leron. And um, as I would, uh, will do it with all of our uh, experts, I will give a brief introduction of who is speaking to you, because I find it very interesting to have a bit of an insight who is talking. So, Monsieur Leron, you hold a PhD of political science and a master's degree in public law and EU law. You're an associate researcher at the Centre d'études européennes at Sciences Po Paris, and you are the author of the brand new book called Souveraineté, l'obsession des nations. You also are the author of La Double Démocratie, in your Europe politique pour la croissance. You're a member of the editorial board of the journal Germinal and regularly publish in the journals Esprit, Le Grand Continent et La Vie des Idées. You're also the founder and president of the think tank Eurocité, president of nonfiction.france and an associate expert at the Fondation Jean Jory. And quite a while ago, you started your career as an European federalist. You even became president of Jeff de Jeune Européen on Paris. So I'm very happy to have your impulse now in your book you write, this is the last quote before you get the floor, sovereignty is not our salvation, nor is it the cause of our ills. It is, however, what is monopolizing all our energies at the risk of collective folly. The task facing our generation forged in the stormy course of the last decade will be to invent a new political form capable of reconciling a sovereign nation and a powerful Europe. Mr. Laurent. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, inviting me uh, to this debate. Uh, very uh, exciting and thrilling uh, debate. And thank you uh, very much, Sandro, for your kind words. I'm very happy to, to meet again. Uh, it's been a long time, so I'm glad to uh, to have this uh, very intellectual and political discussion because we are all uh, pro-Europeans. Um, I won't say uh, I am a, a true federalist, but I'm I'm a, I'm a true uh, pro-European, and I believe deeply in a, in a, in a political Europe. The question is how to achieve it, how to reach uh, a political Europe. So. We have today this notion of European sovereignty. Uh, we know that European sovereignty was fostered by French President Macron in his famous speech uh, at La Sorbonne in uh, 2017, just after being elected for the first time. And uh, we have to say that it was quite a success because uh, now almost everyone uh, is using this notion of European sovereignty. Jean-Claude Juncker, as the president of the European Commission, uh, made a speech on the state of the, the Union on, on European sovereignty in uh, 
2018. He uh, even in, entitled uh, his speech, The Hour of uh, European Sovereignty. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, uh, more recently, himself speaks of a more sovereign Europe. So it looks like pro-Europeans supporters and European institutions, European institutions have at least found their motto, European sovereignty. But as you already understood, my argument, uh, which is a, a pro-European approach, I have to precise it, uh, will criticize uh, this notion of European sovereignty. And it will show, I think that their European sovereignty has intrinsic limits that could affect the road, the road towards political Europe. And what we shall, and perhaps you, uh, European Federalists, shall switch our paradigm from European sovereignty to European democracy, which is not the same to me. Uh, I, I explain that. So as you and as you you, you, you already said, I published uh, this year a book in French, Souveraineté, uh, l'obsession des nations, sovereignty, the uh, nation's obsession, and and why obsession? Because if you think about it, almost everyone from both sides of uh, the political field, pro-Europeans as well as uh, populist Eurosceptics, they use the notion of sovereignty national sovereignty and European sovereignty. It's all about sovereignty. Of course, uh, we all know the pitfalls of national sovereignism. Uh, sovereignism believes or pretend to believe that it is by repatriating all sovereignty, by recovering the scattered pieces of sovereignty that we have allowed to be dispersed uh, in Brussels, in Europe, that we will be able to be masters uh, of our own destiny again. This is the idea that the national people will take back control on its destiny by bringing down European institutions or by leaving the EU. And well, we agree that the UK's current situation shows how this is an illusion. So indeed, what sovereignism does not say or forgot to tell is that France or Germany alone, whether we like it or not, is no longer at the scale of the 21st century, which is the century of continent scales, continent states like the US or China or Russia or Brazil. And we know that the challenges of our century is the production of public goods on a continental scale. So put it simply, national sovereignism is a defeatism. But what about European sovereignty? Here, we, we will uh, diverge on, 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 uh, on our uh, uh, ideas, I guess. In my view, European sovereignty is the other side of the same coin, the coin being the obsession with sovereignty. I agree that European sovereignty is, an, is interesting in the sense that it gives to European integration a strategic dimension that Europe lacked until now. It forces Europe to consider itself as a strategic actor on the world stage. 
which is good, a necessary uh, and a necessary thing uh, to me. So European sovereignty seems to be able to give European integration a new impetus in the right direction. But what do we observe today, practically on the practical uh, ground? We see Emmanuel Macron and Olaf Scholz both speak of European sovereignty, but they appear to be unable to achieve it. They even seem to make choices against the idea or the direction of a European sovereignty. If you just take the example of the great difficulties of setting up a genuine European defense industry. Why so? Why so it's so difficult practically to implement, to achieve what is, what is behind uh, the idea of European sovereignty. I guess it's because European sovereignty is not about sovereignty, actually. It's not about building a federal or sovereign European state, the uh, United States of Europe. European sovereignty is fundamentally about intra-European interstate alliance on sectoral strategic issues. It's about interstate coordination on strategic autonomy policies, defense, food, energy, digital, securing critical supply chains for industry, etc. And so as for any interstate coordination issue, we face diverging national interests, and even more, we face diverging understandings of what are our common interests. We face diverging understandings on what European sovereignty is made of, or what it does imply. So there are the practical limits of European sovereignty to me. But there are also conceptual and political limits. Because to, when, if you think about it, to say that France or Germany will only be truly sovereign, will only recover its, their true sovereignty through a European sovereignty, it means nothing, actually. Conceptually, it means nothing. Because sovereignty cannot be divided, cannot be split into two, uh, with a national sovereignty, and at the same time, en même temps, I know Emmanuel Macron says always, en même temps, so a national sovereignty, and at the same time, a European sovereignty. It, it doesn't work here, because sovereignty is about uh, having the last word, uh, imposing its last will. Yeah. Uh, so you cannot divide sovereignty. You cannot divide the last word. You cannot divide the last decision, the decision of last resort. And whether we like it or not, sovereignty remains and will remain attached, attached to the nation state. We have to take this fact as a fact, even if doesn't please us. The nation state today and for this century is the fundamental political unit. We have to build a political Europe with nations, with sovereign nations and not against them, because if we do against them, they will say no to Europe. If you ask people to transfer their sovereignty to Europe, if we, if, if, if we really ask them, they will know, they, they will answer no. So we, we, we cannot take this risk, this political risk, to me. 
even more. The idea that member states will recover their, their sovereignty, their lost sovereignty through a European sovereignty, but which is not yet achieved, means literally that sovereignty is nowhere, not at the national level, but neither at the European level. Sovereignty is still to come, but it is, it is no longer in the present. And people don't like that. So to me, uh, European sovereignty is politically interesting at some point, but fundam fundamentally, it is a conceptual and a practical political chimera. My argument, as you, as you said, uh, Anna, is that sovereignty and national sovereignty is not the problem. It's not the, the solution, but it's not the problem. So let national sovereignty in peace where it lies at the national uh, level. And let's see what, what, what is the real problem. The real problem to me is not sovereignty, is democracy. We, we, we are facing a democratic crisis, not a sovereignty crisis. And why, why I insist on democracy? Because it's, it's, not, it's different from sovereignty. Democracy is about how citizens uh, are able to produce according to their preferences, public goods. It's about public power. It's not about having the last word to, uh, uh, for imposing its last will. No, it's about producing public goods. And unlike sovereignty, democracy can be split in two or three. We can have at the same time, en même temps, a local democracy with a national and sovereign democracy, with a non-sovereign European democracy, with a non-sovereign European public power. But how to set up a genuine European democracy? Not by transferring sovereignty from the national level to the European level, but by taxing the internal market, by taxing the huge pride profits, made from the, the internal market and give uh, this, uh, uh, this public wealth to the European citizens through elections and through the European Parliament. This is democracy. Democracy is not only about uh, institutional procedures or uh, frameworks. It is about uh, the material capacity to produce public goods according to the preference of citizens. So my conclusion will be in my view, European federalism, European federalists should embrace the cause of European democracy and not the cause of European sovereignty. Thank you. Thank you very much for this uh, first uh, issue. And uh, I see hand signs, yes. And I would uh, like to welcome now Gwendolyn Delbos Caulfield. Thank you for being with us. And um, I would uh, like to uh, give also a short introduction of who you are and then just pose you two questions because you have to leave us a bit earlier, as I heard. So you will have your statement and then we will conclude uh, or uh, continue with our discussion here. 
So um, you were born in Great Britain, but you are a French politician now serving as a member of the European Parliament and have been deputy chairwoman of the Greens and served as vice chair of the Committee of Women's Rights and Gender Equality. In 2020, you joined the Committee on Constitutional Affairs and the Special Committee on Foreign Interference in all democratic processes in the European Union. You're also a member of the Democracy, Rule of Law and Fundamental Rights Monitoring Group and the Rapporteur on the Rule of Law in Hungary. Since 2021, you have been part of the Parliament's delegation to the Conference of the Future of Europe. And last but not least, you're also a board member of the Spinelli Group. So I'm highly qualified to discuss with us uh, today's topic. Um, my two questions to you will be, and please include in your speech also your comments to what you've heard so far. Uh, first question from my side, you're a member of, a, of the Democracy, Rule of Law and Fundamental Rights Monitoring Group and the Rapporteur of the Rule of Law in Hungary. In what ways would a European sovereignty, a true political union, so however you interpret our today's topic, make a difference in stopping the anti-democratic developments in the EU? This is my first question. And as a member of the Constitutional Committee, what are the next crucial yet um, still realistic steps in changing the structure of the EU towards a more political union? So. Um, the floor is yours. Please, uh, your input. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you so much for this. Um, just to explain that I am on an official mission uh, from the European Parliament in, 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 in London. So I am talking to, to you from Westminster, which is quite ironic knowing the topic. Um, uh, it's, it's the official um, EU-UK delegation. So we're meeting members of Parliament of House of Lords and House of Commons. And we are specifically talking about the future of the relationship between UK and EU um, after Brexit. And, and in this particular situation where um, some people said we want to take back control and we want to have sovereignty again and decided that the best way to do this was to leave EU um, in a very divisive society. Um, I think that uh, I don't need to go into more details, but I think that it does highlight Highlight um, specifically in this very particular moment of English politics, where we've gone out of a bit of chaotic moment. It, it does highlight our topic very specifically. Um, the, the, I find interesting the topic because this word of sovereignty has indeed come back into favors. Uh, from people that are pro-European, and I find it myself a bit um, um, perturbing. Uh, even the Greens started to use this word. Yannick Jadot would talk about European sovereignty, about, um, for example, uh, the, the um, industrial concept of, of doing things for, for renewable and, and protecting our single market or European sovereignty on, on a number of topics. And I, I myself had, had a bit of a problem with this word because I do indeed for, for decades now, I have always associated this word to a very nationalist way of, of, of seeing things. Um, so, um, and I think that indeed the word has been often used in a way that is in fact intergovernmental uh, coordination of the EU member states against the rest of the world, which is not what I understand as the European project. I don't think the European project is against the others. Um, and so um, I, I, will, I will start by um, saying why maybe the concept is interesting and, and we could find one. If we don't use this word, we need to find one anyway, because I do think that it's modern democracy. Um, 
what can be interesting if we do use the European sovereignty concept is the democracy is the first point. But for me, it goes with two other things uh, that adds it's a sense of belonging. And I'm not sure democracy always means a sense of belonging. And then it goes also with the capacity to act, um, which is also a question that has often been uh, challenged about, about the European sphere. Um, on, on democracy, um, I, I, you, you pointed to what I do on rule of law and civil liberties. I think that the failures are huge at the moment and they should be addressed. And there are ways to address it. Um, there's this famous Article 7 process when a member state does not do what, what is any more European values and, and, and it's, it's not well done. It's not, it's not challenged. It's not done in a good way. And Hungary has been able to go on doing what they're doing. Um, but the failures are, 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 are much more important. The fact that, of course, I mean, I think that in federalist movement, I don't have to say this, but the fact that too many decisions are decisions of, of governments and parliament has got enough place and all this. So all of the failures we, we know. I also think the one failure that maybe we have not addressed yet enough, and I see very much in the context of rule of law, is uh, the link between the local level and the European level. And this has been maybe too much pushed on the side by the Federalists and others for a long time. And I think that this is crucial. Um, what is happening in Hungary is also that this very centralized way of doing things and the fact that we have no competences in European um, union to to act directly towards Budapest or other cities, and it's the same for Poland, means that Hungary can really um, choose to asphyxiate some of its population, choose to, to undermine a part of its population, the Budapest people who, who are uh, broadly not voting Orban. Um, and, 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 we, and, and it's also killing this idea of, of multiple identities. You're a Budapest person, you're Hungarian, and you're European, you're French, you're Parisian, or, or Marseillais, or coming from Marseille, and, and we have not tackled this enough. Um, and on this democracy thing, I want us also to say that, of course, there's a lot that can be done about European elections, but I'm sure that a lot of my colleagues will say things about that, that we should get more interest for European election. Then there's the capacity to act. I think we have made um, uh, some progress on that. The, the big text on, on DSA, DMA, so the big digital text, uh, the big climate um, uh, texts that are coming out are showing that European uh, can do very, very uh, important laws that are blueprints. But then, um, indeed, uh, the question is, how do we protect our European uh, environmental and social rules if we don't, if we let all these goods that don't have the same rules to come in? And then, of course, I think that I, I thought I would never say that. Um, but I, I must say today that I also think that the capacity to act in a situation of war uh, well, as brought back to, for me, a number of questions, I, I would have not been the one to say we must put money into the defense area. But now I'm thinking, well, yes, I think that we have learned a lesson with this. Um, so that would be why I think that democracy is not the only uh, thing, democracy, but we need also the capacity to act. And then we need the sense of belongings. I really think that on that we've got a lot, a lot to do. I think that the civil rights and civil liberties is a, is a great area. I have learned that through all of my files because 
women all over Europe fight for the, for the same problems and, and live the same situation. And so you have a sense of belonging, of being a European woman, um, and, and the fact that European Parliament has always defended very strongly the European rights, but European Union in general has been a great speaker for, 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 for women rights, and that extends to all countries. And the same for LGBTI communities, of course. But I think that in general, the idea that when you defend civil rights, when you are young organizations also, and all of this, this idea that you connect through different countries and you can go broader than your national interest, which you basically lose on many of the other topics, immediately in business, immediately in, in a number of other uh, places, you will, you will still have, sadly, the problem of national interest. The sense of belonging, I think, we can do also by the famous transnational list. I, I, I'm often surprised how much people find it's a gadget, and I really don't think so. I think that the capacity of a European Member of Parliament to act for everyone is huge. Um, and today, someone like me that doesn't really work for European, for French citizens, I don't do much for French citizens. I mean, why would a French citizen re-elect me, basically? I mean, and, and, and we are facing more and more problems that are challenging on a European level, and we need European members of parliament that feel that they are European, um, they are European parliamentaries and not uh, members of parliament coming from France, coming from Germany, coming from Poland, coming from, from Netherlands. So I think that it's really not a gadget anymore. And I'm very afraid, in fact, that uh, if we lose again the transnational list, we will have this feeling that members of parliament feel that they just have to work for the interest of their own country. Um, and then we have a, a, a big question about culture. I mean, that has been said for years and years and years, but I always say that the day we will have a very nice book that everyone reads about a European child will be, you know, the Harry Potter of, of European of Europe, the a big soap opera a bit about European people, it will change so much because we do need this sense of belonging that we don't have. Um, but then I want to address a second point that is that um, so sovereignty, do you call it sovereignty or something, it cannot go if we don't share our values. And what I'm very afraid of today is that we do have all of what I said, big laws that include everyone and, and our blueprint for the rest of the world. We, we, are, we went against Ukraine altogether and all of this, uh, against four Ukraines against Russia. We're trying to protect ourselves in a number of, of areas, protect our values and all this. But the truth is, today, if you're Hungarian citizens, you are not living exactly the same life and you don't enjoy the same liberties and rights that in another European member state. And that is for me a very frightening thing. And I'm very, very worried that tomorrow nationalists will kill EU from the inside. And, and I'm, I've been all my life a pro-European and I'm now starting to doubt for the first time because what I see is, is that they are not talking about exit anymore. UK gave everyone a very good listen. So the French nationalists, the, the other nationalists, they never say now that they want to go out. Why would they? You can enjoy all the single market and all the economic advantage and just not apply the rules and just not apply, apply the civil rights. And I think that it was very telling that when people were asked about Meloni and the new 
Fatanelli, Italia and the new government in Italy, the, the, the most common answer would be, don't worry. She said she doesn't want to go out of the EU, like if this was a blueprint of being far right. Being far right today has nothing to do about exit. Uh, exiting EU. And I'm very, very worried about that. And so we need to oblige to share the values. And this, for the moment, we're not being serious enough about, about this. And the, this is the new step of, of normalization. And I'm very, very worried about that. In conclusion, I mean, I would say that I don't really um, care for the word. Uh, I've been in my life, very careful about words. In the feminist um, world, you know that words are important, but I also see more and more how sometimes we fight about words rather than fighting about other things. So I, I, I mean, we can define all together as federalist if we want what European sovereignty would be. And then if we, if we agree that it's not only democracy and other things, and, and we agree that it also has the obligation of shared value, um, but I don't think uh, this, uh, but I do think that we, we need a concept there and that it's further than just a democratic space. Um, even if I agree that EU is a, a, an immature democracy and we need to very, very much up, up level it. Um, and I would also want to conclude on the fact that I, 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 I think that we should not be fooled by how uh, uh, solid we all were uh, in the Ukraine situation because um, today the Ukraine situation um, is also sometimes trapping us. Um, for example, I will give you an example, the conditionality mechanism for Hungary. It, I mean, a few months ago, we really had uh, enough people in the council to vote, enough member states in the council to vote it. We had the qualified majority. But now um, we have countries saying we don't want Hungary to oppose our NATO status. So uh, we will um, we will uh, we will no more be a problem for Hungary. We have people saying we can accept everything bad that's happening in Poland because we need to be strong in front of Ukraine, etc. etc. So I think we were a bit fooled by the fact that Ukraine. Um, situation would help us to unite a lot and now we're a bit trapped um, and I'm and I'm very afraid that this is creating a blurry situation um, so we should be very cautious about that. Thank you so much for those really valuable and uh, multiple inputs that we got now. You really covered a huge field of possible further discussion. Thank you for your valuable time and uh, being here with us. I think you have uh, to go now. So we will um, continue our discussion here. Uh, all the best to you. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, of course, I would uh, also now uh, like to introduce who's speaking to you uh, in the fall um, and uh, beginning with uh, Gabriele Bischoff. You began your career studying political sciences in Germany, later working as associate scientist and from 1990 on as a senior advisor to equality at Germany's largest trade union, IG Metall. You also led the trade unions work on European policies for the German Trade Union Confederation in Berlin. And from 2019 on, you have been a MEP and member of the European Parliament, serving, for example, as vice chair on the Committee on Constitutional Affairs or as a member of the working group on the COFEU, the Conference on the Future of Europe. You're also a vice chair of the SD group, a board member of the Spinelli group and vice president of Europa Union Deutschland. Great to have you here. And of course, uh, we will um, not 
leave out Sandro Gozzi, a doctorate in public law from the University of Bologna, studied international politics in Brussels and international relations in Paris. You have published books and articles, editorials, and have been a professor at several European universities, for example, uh, for external relations of the EU and EU law. You've been an Italian diplomat, a member of the Italian Parliament, and a member of the Cabinet of the European Commission. You have been in charge of European affairs from 2014 to 2018 in two Italian governments. Since 2020, you're a member of the European Parliament, where you serve, for example, on the Committee on Constitutional Affairs. From 2018 on, you're a president, the president of the UEF. In May 2021, you were elected Secretary General of the European Democratic Party, and now you're chairman of the Spinelli Group. So let's uh, start um, right away with you. And uh, with uh, the first uh, question, you heard now a lot of input from <laughs> Mr. Laurent and as well also uh, from, uh, yeah, directly out of uh, Great Britain. I think that's very interesting, <laughs> that scenery. Um, what are the next steps toward, towards the goal of uh, a political union or are the next, yes, please, are the next steps really towards uh, European sovereignty? Where are we with that discussion when we talk about the right wording <laughs> how to reach political unity? Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, I knew that it would be interesting and uh, now I'm, I'm convinced that it, it is being interesting to invite uh, Nicolaia. Uh, I I do believe, Nicola, that uh, we do not disagree very much on the content. Uh, we uh, disagree on whether we should use some words for uh, identify a certain content that we need. Because for me, uh, sovereignty doesn't exist in nature. It's not something that pre-exists to something. It's something that is linked to historical moment. It's a link also to a way of organizing a community. Uh, this is the first thing. And so the uh, very uh, notion of sovereignty can evolve all over the time. And also, you, do, you have a different kind of uh, expressing, organizing your sovereignty, even between different member states. Talking about sovereignty in France is not the same as today talking about sovereignty in Germany or even, or even, uh, or even in Italy. But this is not the main point. My main point, in my view, is not a, a, an historical analysis is the fact that uh, what is sovereignty today? To me, sovereignty today is exercising, being able to exercise a power in a democratic way to produce public good, to act and to protect. This is for me sovereignty. And this is why I'm very comfortable with the idea of democratic, sovereign and democratic Europe. Because I want a Europe which is being able to exercise a power which is also a sort of kind of revolution, eh? because the very idea of the European integration was at the beginning to be an antidote to the use of power by nation, national state or nationalistic state. That was the reaction to the Second World War. We needed to an antidote to the use of power among uh, European countries. This is why we, inve we have invented we have invented the European integration. Today, we have another need. Today, we, uh, the, uh, the relation between Europe and power is not to be an antidote uh, for the internal use of uh, national, national sovereign, national power. power. Today, we need, in these new geopolitical challenges that we are living, to face 
continental state, as you say, which I called empire, empires. Then, I mean, from an objective point of view, it's not a qualitative judgment. I mean, I don't want to put in the same basket China and Russia, which to me are the biggest problem that we have in the world, China more than Russia and the United States and India and Brazil. But in terms of size, in terms of reality, these are not uh, nation state. These are empire, empower, empire by demography, by economy, by, by ambition, by ambition also, by the way they consider themselves in the world. And being challenged with this, uh, uh, in, with, in this age of empires, I think, that, I think that we have to see what we are not able anymore to produce as uh, action, protection, and production of public goods at national state level. And there are several things on which we have lost control, to, to use the expression uh, of uh, the Brexiteers, only their answer was the wrong one. The question was a very good one, because it's true that uh, the nation state have lost control. What is the, what is the answer to this loss of, loss of control of the nation state? In my view, and not because uh, I want to divide sovereignty, but because I want to pull sovereignty, which is another concept, as I want to pull sovereignty, I plead for a European sovereignty where I can exercise in a new joint way a power to do what I cannot do anymore at national level to produce as a public goods, digital regulation, uh, immigration governance, security defense, uh, an effective action on climate change. These are all public goods, which are also action, which on which the national state action at least is not enough anymore. At least it's not enough anymore. If not totally, totally uh, uh, powerless, at least it's not enough anymore. But I want also this uh, exercise of power at European level to be exercised in a democratic way. Not only through diplomats, not only through defense minister in meeting behind the scenes. I want it to be democratic. I want the European Parliament to play a fundamental role. I want to develop a notion of uh, a, a transnational approach, not only to the exercise on sovereignty, but also to the uh, way we live politics and the way we live democracy. And there we join. Because after all, I do believe that this idea of European sovereignty must be an idea of a sovereign Europe within a new transnational democracy. A new transnational democracy means a real fiscal, a fiscal capacity for the European Parliament, because the, the way we become a true parliament, accountable, uh, and with uh, some real decision-making power, but also uh, to avoid the risk, the drift we are living, that they want to push the member of the European Parliament to be only representative of a country, of a region, of a city. I am Italian elected in France. I am here to represent the cities of Europe and I'm here to promote that vision of Europe, which is supported by the people who have elected me. That is what we have to promote. This is why I agree with Gwendoline about the fact that uh, the, tra the transnational list is not, uh, 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 what did she say? Eh? Uh, a gadget. It's not a gadget. It's not a gadget, but it's one of the key like one of the key, the budget, 
like one of the key the issue of defense to develop this uh, power through a democratic way. So after all, this is why I do believe that uh, uh, it depends on what we, we mean. To me, uh, sovereignty is also uh, a, a, a share of values. It's not an, a, a, an ethical, ethical uh, doesn't have an ethical meaning. When you listen now in Italy uh, to the discourse of Giorgia Meloni, when she speak about the Italian nation, this is a totally ethical approach to, 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 to the Italy. If you look at the interview this morning of the new minister of culture uh, of Italy, it is ethical, ethical. I mean, Italy existed before the Italian unification, the language, etc. That everything to exclude. To me, sovereignty is uh, uh, share the same fundamental values, share the same fundamental constitutional values, share the same way of living together. So also from this perspective, I think that we have to we have to, to decide which kind of sovereignty or which kind of patrie huh, we are talking about. And I, I will end here with uh, something that will sound like a provocation of my friend and uh, uh, I mean mentor, which was Marco Pannella, who used also to, all the time to say, we need a patrie européen, a European, huh? Because without a patrie européenne, we will never have the political euro we want, but we lose, we will lose also the national patrie, the patrie nationale. Because also the idea, the identity, the national identity today needs a new uh, European framework made of power and democracy. But this is, I mean, we can continue to discuss, of course. <laughs> Thank you also for your introductory statement. And I would like uh, to invite now, now uh, Mrs. Fischer for your introductory statement. Uh, we start uh, a little bit with uh, holding speeches today, but then uh, in our next round of questions, I would like to ask you for um, a bit shorter answers so we can pose more questions. But now it's your time. Please, what is your view on the topic of European sovereignty and what uh, needs to be done uh, in the next steps? You're also a vice chair on the Committee for Constitutional Affairs, so you know um, deeply what the structural condition of the EU is and to where it could be developed further. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, we already heard a lot of uh, interesting, inspiring and sometimes a bit contradictory perceptions of European sovereignty. And I think it was said, uh, if you listen to Macron, it will mean something different than if you listen to Olaf Scholz. And I can tell you, I was part of the negotiation team for the coalition agreement, and we even have the term there in the European chapter, but uh, from three different parties. And I'm sure also even there we have three different perceptions of what we mean with it. But I would just like to highlight something that was not discussed yet. If you have new discourses uh, like the one on European sovereignty, you ask yourself, why this discourse and why now? And when you look at the uh, Macron speech, um, we have to state that we are we are coming out of a decade of re-nationalism, of re-nationalization of European policies. It was already addressed, uh, more and more intergovernmental solutions, no system of checks and balances uh, and democratic control uh, as much as it would be necessary. Um, and also new divides within Europe and the spirit. And I've also in my former life worked in the council many years 
So I think a new spirit also in the council that is that it is not um, it is not impossible these days to openly address that you just want to have all the advantages of European integration, but you don't care for the rest. That's 15 years ago, that was not possible in the council. But nowadays, people go out to the media to sell themselves as successful by, by having this narrative and also that this would be possible, but it's not possible. Um, so um, after this decade of re-nationalism, we also had around the globe um, new mo movements of nationalists, of populists, of right-wing extremists, if you look at the US and other countries. And they were selling the old concept of national sovereignty as an emotional project, not as a rational project. It is you are belonging to a nation and then you have the right and entitlement to certain um, to, to certain outcomes of that um, and privileges that are connected to it um, and um, and that um, this will make your life better. I think we just heard Gwendoline from the UK. Um, the take back control was connected also to this. This is already a new layer of national sovereignty. So Macron starting this discourse as a sort of also reaction to the growing uh, debates on national sovereignty and uh, with the attempt um, to, to also discuss and at least have a discourse about um, that national sovereignty in times of, of global challenges, in times of global trends, um, is, uh, is, is, a, is a fake. It's a, it's a, it's a myth. It's, um, it is not, uh, it is not um, really uh, possible in the key areas that, uh, and the key challenges, but to more focus also uh, on the advantages of producing, of, of regaining also national sovereignty by transferring competences to the European level where sovereignty can be created. Um, it was not an appealing emotional project when you look at it in comparison to what national uh, sovereignty actors sold, but it came at a time where Europe in a very brutal way realized that it's not capable to act anymore together. And I think for me, one of the big examples were the so-called migration crisis. You have a huge global challenge. You have a war in Syria. You have refugees coming and you um, have no European solid answers to this. You just skip it to your neighbors. Uh, you try to close your borders and think whoever deals with it, it will be not me if I'm lucky. And in the end, even when you could take and they took decisions to sort of externalize this with the deal with Turkey. Europe not able to come to a, a European solution to act together but needed solutions, so they bought them outside the European Union. And I think that 
that already marked a point where it was very clear um, that if you want uh, citizens supporting a European project, they would they would they would have the expectation that you can do it better on European level than on national level. And I think this was already the time uh, when it was also clear that Europe is in an existential crisis because of the lack of capacity to act and to produce better solutions on European level. And I think here comes, and you mentioned it also, the, the proposal uh, on the conference on the future of Europe, and also here to um, bridge the gap and to try to involve citizens in this debate. How can we strengthen, improve the capacity to act, to deliver public goods, for the citizens and to involve citizens in this process of reform from the beginning. And I think um, if you look at the <clears throat> difficulties of the three institutions to come together on one concept for a conference on the future of Europe, this already illustrates um, the, the problems, but nevertheless, um, the European Union managed to agree on this and to start this process. And I think we might later come to, to, um, to the point, okay, now, now we have the proposals of the citizens on the table. We have this, the proposals that the conference with all three institutions, with national parliaments, with regional, local politicians, um, put now on the table to see, okay, is Europe capable to implement these proposals or not? Um, this will be very important if we talk about the trust of European citizens um, in the project here. But um, for me, therefore, um, at the moment, I think it's an opportunity um, to say, okay, are we able to identify some key projects to improve our capacity to act together? In terms of the climate crisis, we know we cannot solve this on national level. You can have as much um, sovereignty. Um, it is not possible to address it. If we look at digitalization, we have the same experience. We see we have international global um, players here. Um, if, if we want um, to manage these huge transitions in our societies, we can only do it um, really if we have European solutions. Um, I, I, I could name some more of these global trends where we will only be able to act if we do it on European level and to address these challenges um, that we have. And here to find a new impetus, to find a new way to concentrate on some concrete projects where we then prove that the that to the citizen that their future will be better within the European Union by the solutions we produce by the by the by the public goods we produce um, then uh, on national level. I think if we are able to do that and and with this have a vision of the future, not this technocratic from one little solution to another, but really a vision to say, okay, we, we have the chance now to get our guts together 
um, or otherwise we will be just the playing field um, for for big actors like China, like Russia, like the US, uh, all of this. So I see it as an opportunity, but uh, I think uh, if we cannot afford to waste it, that's my short assessment. <laughs> Thank you so much, um, Mr. Laurent. I would like to start with you. And if possible, um, all the answers that are upcoming to keep them between one and three minutes, that would be great <laughs> for the sake of <laughs> different fields. Um, Ah, so many questions I have in my head, but um, first I would like to start asking you as a political scientist and a fe European federalist uh, since uh, some time, what is the USP when it comes to the vision of the federalists uh, uh, of a political union? What is the vision of the future? How could Europe really be effective in a democratic way in finding quicker solutions that are really um, having, you know, a common go from all over Europe? What are your solutions, actually? Well, this is all the debate. <laughs> and um, as San Rogozi uh, said, uh, yeah, yes, we, we agree on the contents, but we we agree on uh, transnational list, we agree on uh, more uh, power uh, to the uh, European Parliament, we agree on, on, the, on the true European budget, etc. But we disagree on the priority. We disagree on what comes first and what comes after. And this is a big uh, disagreement. This is a political and a strategic disagreement on how to achieve political Europe um, in terms of uh, analysis, in terms of proposals. To me, we uh, the, 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 the most urgent thing is to stop this incremental step-by-step uh, -step, uh, European integration, uh, technocratic uh, 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 integration by, by stealth, uh, would say the famous uh, European scholars. Because people, national people, uh, tends to be very uh, frustrated and very upset uh, of it. So we need a true and genuine political leap to achieve a political Europe in order to produce public goods, in order to, 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 to take, our take our seat uh, on the world stage as Europeans. So, and, and it is possible, we, we made the Euro so if we made the euro, uh, and, and at, at the time everyone uh, say it, it, it's a folly, it's a pure folly. The Americans say impossible. No, we made the euro. Of course, it it uh, it then implied some some huge uh, huge uh, issues. But we, we 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 are capable of political leap. Uh, we Europeans. So what will be this political leap? More competence, a shared sovereignty or what I think is democracy. And democracy, to me, a European democracy is the question of the budget, the European budget and the European uh, own resource, uh, fiscal resource. This is for me the first step and not the second step. This is the first step. Very interesting answer. Thank you so much. Um, Mr. Gozzi, I'm coming to you. Uh, there is uh, something like uh, new treaties uh, standing in the room, you know, being discussed. Uh, is the opening of the European treaties um, is the process, is that really a good idea at the point in history or is it actually also a danger? And what could be achieved by uh, redefining uh, the European um, political uh, will by reopening the 
discussions. It is a necessity. It is a commitment that we have taken um, at the beginning of this uh, parliamentary term by uh, the European Commission, by the European Parliament. It is a strong request, not, on, not the only one. Again, uh, among the several requests that the citizens made in the Conference of the Future of Union, there is also the issue of treaty revision, not because uh, uh, for the sake of revising a treaty, but because they want uh, Europe to produce, uh, again, public goods that we can uh, produce only by uh, revising the treaty. So, I mean, it is clear that all the, issue, all the things that we have said tonight, even if there are some nuances, uh, would, would be uh, meaningless if we exclude a priori uh, the, the possibility of revising a treaty. Then this is a debate that, I mean, uh, we will have uh, to, uh, uh, to face, uh, to tackle also within the UF, uh, I, I guess also uh, uh, within uh, the national section, European Union, I guess also within the Spinelli group. Strategically, what, what we have to do now, because we had high hopes about the possibility of triggering the revision uh, treaty process in June. And this is why we rushed up in the European Parliament to, uh, I mean, uh, to exercise our power of initiative because we have a power of initiative here for the treaty revision. And then around the table in the council, maybe there was a tiny majority, maybe there wasn't a tiny majority. So, I mean, at uh, the council, they decided to postpone and they will try to postpone again. So we will have to decide what we have to do. Uh, shall we choose not to go along the strategy that we have, pu we have pushed uh, uh, since the 20, 2019, that means uh, pushing for launching a new convention preceded by a high degree of legitimacy because the convention would be convened uh, to uh, respond to the demand of the citizens of the Council of the Future of Union. Should we throw, throw it away completely, this? Or should we try to do both on, on one side, continuing to push for the treaty revision and continue to push for the convention in, in order to respect the demand of the citizens, which some of them are still interested and they feel totally lost. Nobody answers to their mails anymore. The citizens say we are at the conference of the future of Union. They write mails at the European institution, the European Commission, and they stop even to answer them. Should we frustrate like that? And we say, as it is not working exactly as we want, basta. Uh, convention doesn't doesn't uh, is not the answer. The conference of the, of the of the future of union is not the answer. I don't think that this would be a good approach. I think that, however, that we have to have also another perspective in mind, which sh we should do everything we can now in order to achieve the 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 utmost we can achieve, including the treaty revision, even if it is more and more difficult because for the reason. I said around the council and around the council, we have lost one personality, which with Emmanuel Macron and Olaf Scholz was the, the one who was really pushing for a federal Europe as he did, as he said in his speech before the European Parliament in April, who is Mario Draghi. I mean, uh, so let me finish. Uh, so the issue is, uh, should we continue to try anyway? And at the same time, starting to prepare the European election in 2024 as a moment of as a moment of uh, a, like, like a constitutional and democratic moment, and there organize a debate and there push the different 
European National Political Party to take the commitment with their voters to launch a sort of new constitutional process in the new term. In my view, we have to do both because I'm, I'm very pragmatic and because I'm not, I'm not a theologist. And I hope that our federalist movement and our federalist family doesn't fall again into the, into the, the theological trap, uh, which uh, could uh, prevent us for, from trying to be effective, trying to be effective because our forces are much less than the forces at the moment around the European Council. Thank you so much, Mrs. Bishop. Um, you've been uh, directly part of the Conference of the Future of Europe. You know what the citizens want. Uh, you would like to also uh, foster democracy. It's one of your major issues in your political work. Um, did you see, uh, uh, to your um, experience in the process, did you see that the involvement of the citizens has been a success? Could it be improved? Should there be more involvement? Uh, is uh, the change of treaties uh, really what they want or do they want a constitution? What is the right way to assure the connection between citizens and your UEF political work? Yeah, thank you. Just allow me also one comment. I think it's very clear if you look at empires or you look at organizations or institutions, uh, all of them, if they are not capable to change anymore, they will vanish. They will go because they will be stuck and uh, the challenges are, are growing and Europe relies heavily and we have seen it in the Brexit on the support of the citizens. If the citizens lose faith in Europe and that Europe can deliver for them, um, I think then it is very, very easy for nationalists, populists to embark on this um, and uh, and to drive uh, uh, campaigns uh, like we have seen uh, in the UK. But um, treaty revision is for me not a, a goal in itself. It is not. Um, it is really the capacity to act. And if the council would be able by using the passerelle to achieve the same, I would say, okay, go for it. But I would also ask, why didn't you do it the whole time? Because you have this tool um, the whole time. And also we can see that the passerelle is limited in, in the scope too. So I think in the end, uh, it will be essential um, also. And here I'm, I'm looking also at the citizens that we have. Uh, these feedback events with the citizens to say, okay, like on the 2nd of December, we will meet with citizens to say, okay, this is how far we got in terms of policy changes the, the citizens ask for the majority. To be fair, are policy changes they want. They want different public goods. They um, And treaty changes are focused on certain areas. A one big area, and I think that was really in all the working groups, and I coordinated all of that for my political group, was uh, to say we have to abolish anonymity if we want to be a European Union that is capable um, to act, especially in key policy areas. So then we have to report where do we stand at the moment? What did the Parliament do? What did the Council do? And what is our roadmap? Uh, to achieve um, this. Uh, and uh, I, I also think um, that uh, we will have this debate uh, until the European elections. It will be also a key issue, I think, 
from the side of the citizens. But my question is also, yes, I think these participatory processes are good. They are important. They can be helpful. But we have to see, if we look at the challenges of democracy, we have to see two points. In, Euro in elections, be it national elections or European elections, we have more and more people that don't participate anymore in elections because their uh, impression and their experience is it doesn't make a difference for them. Uh, so we lost these people and we had analysis in the AFCO uh, of research where if you look at the big capitals in Europe and you look at the poorest suburbs and the richest, the difference in the participation rate is more than 50% in some of the cities. It's huge. Uh, and we have to address this because this is a risk to democracy. It really is. And on the other hand, if you look at the participatory processes, we as parliament insisted also not only to have gender and um, age and your country, but also income and qualification as a criteria for the selection of citizens. But I think if you look at all these participatory processes, it's the same. It's uh, you, you find more white academic middle-class people that are interested in this uh, than to activate people from all uh, parts of life. And I think this is something, if we discuss democracy, uh, where we have to find new ways how to re-involve citizens in democracy, also in, 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 uh, in a general way, but especially also uh, in, in European policy on this level. And I think here citizens' participation, if it's done well, um, can be can be a tool and we experienced this for example in Berlin where I live where we started something like uh, the conference on the future of Europe on level of the city involving the sports club the music clubs different actors uh, to come up with proposals for the future of Europe thank you thank you so much and uh, you already paved the way towards our final statement so we're uh, already I think uh, over the time a little bit so I would just like uh, to ask uh, from uh, beginning with uh, Mr. Laurent, just for your final conclusion, if possible, in one sentence, what would you like the UEF uh, in the next, uh, the Spinelli group, uh, uh, all those who are uh, actually, you know, uh, going, wanting to go towards a political union, what would you like them to do or think of uh, until the next elections in 2024? To raise the question of what mean, what mean, what means democracy? Uh, if we take this world deeply, what does it entail? What does it imply? Democracy and a European democracy. And if we think that the, the, the core problem is, as you said, this feeling, which is not just a feeling, which is a reality of uh, democratic power, powerlessness, the fact that when my vote uh, has less and less power, political power, how to give back not sovereignty, but how to give back political power to citizens to address this question of European democracy. What does it entail? Thank you so much. Uh, one very concrete idea. Wonderful. Um, Ms., uh, Mrs. Bishop, what would be your conclusion or one sentence to UEF and like-minded uh, um, people? Go out and talk to the people.
<laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. That really was one sentence. Beautiful. <laughs> Mr. Gautzi, now it's your time. <laughs> what would be your conclusion and also recommendation? What to oh, think of, what to do? Two, two points. First, uh, my message is uh, let's be ready for the new fight, as we always are as federalists. And second, I thank you all. I thank you, uh, Nana. I thank you, Nicola. I thank you, uh, uh, Gabi, uh, this is only the beginning. Uh, our intention is uh, to promote a series of debate, podcast, conference, offline, online, as uh, uh, Union of European Federalism and Spinelli Group, because uh, also in the light of what we are tonight, I think that there is a strong need to uh, promote debate, to see what are the right strategy, and to see how, as federalists, we can arrive in the best position in the 2024 election. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Um, before you leave the, the stage, just one uh, message, uh, just uh, being part of what Sandro said. We uh, are kindly and uh, very uh, full uh, of uh, hopes inviting you to our infotainment format tomorrow, the Ferngespräch, who speaks German of you. It's an infotainment format on Twitch, a gaming platform. It reaches hundreds to thousands of people. It's really fun uh, and it is uh, actually to um, uh, talking about uh, uh, all the European topics uh, that uh, also are discussed here. And on Wednesday, we have a UEF Network Academy coming up, an online training, uh, fact-based communication as a base for a successful democracy. Also, uh, really reaching into the topics we discussed today. Please check the UEF social media channels for all those uh, great uh, offers that we have uh, especially planned for the next uh, upcoming months and years. And so, have a good evening. Thank you very much.